Tonight at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue through our Bible teaching. And tonight's message is on the book of Acts. Um, I also encourage you guys to kind of read along with where we are at. From here on out, throughout the Bible, they're all pretty little books. Like, you could easily read them within a week. So, flip open your Bible, look at where Acts is, find out what the next book is, and possibly read that throughout the week, and you would be more familiar with some of the things that I might be talking about in the messages. Also, we have fellowship nights on Tuesday nights, that we have a ladies' night and a guys' night. If you're interested in being a part of that fellowship night, that we usually cook some meals and we answer some questions um, that go along with the messages. Um, So if you're interested in that, uh, bring it up in small group when we break into small groups after the fact, and you can get some information about our fellowship nights on Tuesdays around 6 for the guys, the girls. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm sure it's right around the same time. So, the book of Acts is really a continuation to the Gospel of Luke. Um, some believe that these were really one book with two parts. Um, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. You know, and this is also considered, you know, the Acts of the Apostles is where we get the name of this book. But some believe that it's more of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Some would say that it's the Gospel of the Holy Spirit, that it's really possibly a fifth Gospel because it's all about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, as this begins, it starts off, it kind of the the resurrection that Jesus is back to life and he's rolling through the streets of Jerusalem and he's talking to people and people are pretty amazed that you know this guy Jesus who you know the city was in a uproar just a few days prior is kind of walking around and, and talking to people and no one's really doing much about it um this is a very important piece to our belief system because you can find these stories in pagan and other literature. You can find that in Greek, in Roman, in Persian, in Jewish literature, that there's this man named Jesus, that he was resurrected, and he was walking around. You know, so this is kind of important to us, that we can say that this information is in different sources, it's not just our Bible. So when people try to argue with us, or tell us that Jesus was, you know, an imaginary person, or he wasn't really who we say he is, you know, we can state that there's other sources that they can look up and find information if they truly want to. Usually they don't want to, but that's a whole other story. <clears throat> so Jesus spent 40 days kind of walking around, you know, talking and, and teaching, you know, and <clears throat> this is very important piece because all the, the Jews would show up into Jerusalem to pay homage or, or worship at the temple. So they came for Passover, which is the time that the Lamb was slain and Jesus was crucified. And now 40 days later, there's a new festival, and it's the fe- festival of Pentecost. You know, and today we, we know more familiar of Pentecostals you know, that weird branch of the church that we don't talk about much. However, you know, typically it's no different than a Passover festival. The Pentecost, Penta means 50. It was 50 days after the resurrection, and here we are having another festival. You know, so there's, if you read through Scripture, there's a handful of these. There's the, you know, the the festival of temples or tabernacles, you know, and then there's Pentecost, and then there's Passover. These are different times that they would, you know, go into Jerusalem or the nearest temple if they couldn't make the, the trek all the way to Jerusalem to be able to worship God and offer their sin offerings at the tem- temple and so forth. <clears throat> so as Jesus is coming to this place and he's telling them that it's about time for him to leave, you know, he tells them to go back to the upper room. The upper room is where they had the Last Supper. So he's sending them back to the last place that they hung out before Jesus was resurrected 
because there's going to be a new significant thing that begins to take place. So as he sends them back to the upper room, Jesus begins to ascend into the clouds. And they all head back to the upper room, not really having a clue. You know, there's a lot of times that Jesus said stuff to them and they weren't really sure what was going on. You know, as we talked about last week, you know, that after Jesus was crucified, some of the disciples said, well, I guess this is over, and they started headed home. You know, because they did not understand his messages. But after the resurrection, everyone is paying a little bit more attention to what Jesus was saying. So they head back to the upper room, not necessarily understanding exactly what was going to happen, and they were fasting and praying. You know, so basically for ten days, they just hung out and got super holy and and talked to Yahweh and didn't need anything. And then on that, that very day, all of a sudden they began to hear this sound that sounded like rushing wind, and it began to fill the room, and they began to see little flames dancing above each other's heads. And they began to speak in foreign languages. We would consider that speaking in tongues. And that they were all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they came running out of the upper room and started talking to people that had been traveling from all over the place to come back into Jerusalem. But now they're speaking in other people's foreign tongues from foreign lands and they're understanding what they're saying. However, they're acting very strange under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and some people are saying that these people are just drunk. Now, in their defense, they say, well, it's early in the morning, they can't possibly be drunk. But, however, this crowd, many of us have been drunk early in the morning. I remember the first time that I started singing the Doris song, I wake up this morning and I got myself a beer. And I began to drink, and it was early in the morning after being at the bar all night long. Hence starting alcoholism on a whole nother level for Tom. That just because things are happening and people are acting weird, you know, that they were saying that that was people acting drunk. Now, I find it interesting that when I was drunk, I can't speak for any of you guys because you probably drank civilly. But when I was drunk, I acted a fool. When I was drunk, I would run at the mouth. When I was drunk, I would fall down. When I was drunk, I would be very bold in my actions. Now, see, here we have disciples who just a few weeks prior, that when Jesus was going to be taken to be crucified and the Jewish guards or the the temple guards came to get Jesus, everybody ran away. Now here, a few weeks after the fact, now filled with the Holy Spirit, these same individuals that ran away, that did not have boldness, that were cowardly, all of a sudden were stepping up and doing crazy acts for God because there was an infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit. I would have to say that this is kind of the line that's drawn in the sand between going to church and having this deep interpersonal relationship with Jesus. Many of us have been to church, and it sucks. It's boring. We don't understand it. We don't know why we're doing it, but we do it to kind of check the box. Like, I've sinned all week long, so I go to church for an hour on a weekend. Seems like a fair trade. However, we don't really want to be there. I remember getting dragged to church as a kid. I don't remember anything that happened. All I remember is the guy up front sounding like the teacher from Snoopy going wah 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 And then at the end of the church service, I got juice and cookies. And I longed for juice and cookies. I longed for that final song when everyone would stand up and we could sing and I could run out of there as fast as I could. Many of us have a very poor church experience. However, when Jesus starts moving in our lives, all of a sudden we desire to be in the environment that we would say church. However, it's not this building. We didn't come here to sit in the basement of some old church that was built a long time ago. 
We didn't come here to hear some guy talk about Jesus. Hopefully, each one of us came here to hopefully hear God speak into our lives in a way that only the Holy Spirit would know that I needed to hear that specific information. How did that happen last night? I was talking to somebody about that before I got here, and then they were talking about it at church. I prayed that earlier in the week, and all of a sudden that stuff started happening. These are the coincidences that happen when we pass over from going from going through the motions of a believer to I am trying to figure out this Jesus character and trying to ask Him into my life in such a way that things begin to change like they've never been. Back in 2005, after another relapse, a young woman that says, hey, my church is doing this recovery meeting, you should come. And being broken and desperate, can't hurt me. I was in a crack house a couple of days ago. And off to church I went. And I started hearing this message about Jesus. And it started to ring in my ears in a way that I'd never heard before. And after a few weeks had passed to come into this group, actually, I said, if I'm going to be serious about this God stuff, I should probably go to church. Because I wanted to check the box. And I went to church, and I heard the message, and I don't remember anything that was preached. And at the end of that message, the pastor said, is there anybody in here that wants to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? And without even realizing that, I was up out of my chair, walking to the outside of the aisle and walking to the front of the church. And as I turned this corner and I looked back over the church, there's three to 400 people staring at the devil who came to church that day in a flaming shirt with a bunch of tattoos. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? But now I've like committed. I can't run out of there and make myself look like a fool. So I walk to the front of the church. And I stand in front of this guy that I've never met before. And he asked me, do you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And I step back and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm about to become religious. See, nobody wants to be religious. I don't want to be religious. People say, oh, Tom, you're religious. I'm like, far from it. Like, you don't understand. And I, you know, I try to explain it to them and they just like, no, you're religious. No, trust me. We can go find some religious people and we can bring them up here and you can see the vast difference between those people and me. And what's the difference? We all believe in the same God, right? But how that belief transpires and acts out into our life shows us what we really believe. We run into people all the time that have crosses hanging around their neck. And I always find it funny to ask them, like, oh, you go to church? And they're like, oh, no. I'm like, well, why do you have a cross? Oh, I just like it. Interesting. So basically, you have a death sentence hanging around your neck. Because that's what the cross really represented a couple thousand years ago. Today, it's cute. I like that. It's pretty. What we believe about God shapes what we do in our everyday life. Every one of us have run into Christians that we don't like, and that makes us have a hard time with Jesus. Right? Who knows what I'm talking about? How many know Christians right now that are like, I don't like that person? We all do. I don't know who the quote comes from, but the the quote is that the number one leading cause of atheism is Christians. Because they say one thing with their mouth and they live a different way. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. Nor do they take the time to read the Word to find out about Jesus. They just go to the building and sit here and say, I really hate doing this. Let me do it again next week. See, when the Holy Spirit begins to come, things begin to change. I remember being desperate in that season of my life. And I would come and and the the pastor or the worship leader would be like, the Holy Spirit's in the room. And I would like look around. I don't know what this person's talking about. 
But being desperate, I ended up going again. Being desperate, I ended up going again. Being desperate, I actually picked up the Bible and started reading the pages, and I'm like, I don't have a clue what this thing's saying. Being desperate, I went again. Anybody desperate? See, something begins to happen in our desperation. See, there's a line in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, that I love a lot. And it states that only God could and would deliver us from the state of hopeless mind and body. Anybody ever been in a hopeless state of mind and body? Only God can deliver us from that place. If he were sought. Now, sought isn't really a word that we would use today. However, we all do it. We seek out something to fill a void. I remember jonesing for cocaine and hitting these streets in the winter storms with very little money in my pocket to go get something that would only last seconds. I remember walking blocks to borrow money for a pack of cigarettes so I can go and just take a puff. I remember driving for hours to, to go meet up with some girl so I could have sex. We've all sought out things to bring some sort of satisfaction to this crazy thing that we call a body. But the second we're done, we're empty again and we're looking for the next thing to seek out to bring some sort of satisfaction. Many of us have tried to find that satisfaction in the bottom of a, a bottle, the bottom of a bag in some sort of broken relationship, in a marriage, in finances, in money, in a career, in something, in food, in whatever. We've tried to find satisfaction in all these other places, but at the end of the day, we're just consuming. And I remember after I'd heard it enough times of people saying, the Holy Spirit is in the room. And I'm like looking around and I'm like, these people are weird. Christians can be weird. Can we say amen to that? If I ran into myself 15 years ago, I would be a real weird person. I do a lot of things today. I say a lot of things today. I act in a way today that would be completely strange to a very broken and lost town. But I remember being desperate. And I'm trying to read this Bible and it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm trying to go to church. And I'm trying to hear these messages about Jesus. And people are telling me, well, yeah, Jesus, but the Holy Spirit. I'm like, whoa, you need to slow down with that Holy Spirit stuff. I just need Jesus. And you can take that Father stuff and throw that in the garbage can because I don't want to hear anything about the Father. I got a bad Father. I don't want to hear you talk about the Father. I just need to figure out who Jesus is. But with Jesus comes the Father and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us in here have father wounds, so any time that we start talking about God the Father, we instantly go like, I don't like that aspect of the Trinity. We can just negate that. We'll just stick to Jesus, and then eventually we get a little Holy Spirit. We're like, I like him too. He's nice. But the Holy Spirit starts taking this to a whole nother level. See, Jesus, we can kind of, you know, it's all right. We get presents at Christmas and Easter time we hide the eggs because Jesus is coming back. But when the Holy Spirit starts to enter in your life and starts kind of messing with stuff, starts poking at areas of our lives and says, hey, let's change this. And we're like, stop it. I'm trying to get close to Jesus and you're messing with things I like to do. And we start praying to Jesus and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, let's forgive that person. I'm like, shut up, devil. (laughs) How many times have we rebuked the Holy Spirit because we don't like what he has to say? Who knows what I'm talking about? See, something begins to happen when we say, I'm going to seek this stuff out. 
See, coming to church is one thing. Like, I could go to the gym. And if I stare at the weights, it does me no good. I have to get under the pressure of those weights and push back a little bit to have that resistance so that I could possibly grow. If we go to the bar and we sit there and watch everybody else drink, we're not going to get drunk. We actually have to consume to feel what they feel. I can have drugs on my person, but I don't have them in my system. I don't feel exactly the same way. I can have a computer, but if I'm not looking at the websites that I really want to look at, it doesn't benefit me the way that I think I want to be benefited. Are you following me on this? That coming to church is one thing, and I'm glad that you're all here. There's a couple new faces tonight. But it's really what you do when you leave here that's really going to make this stick. That if you don't seek out God and try to put your mind around it to the best of your ability, coming here once won't do you any good. Now I know that I've been desperate for things in my life and I've chased them really hard. And when I finally got to a broken place in my life, I began to chase Jesus really hard. And I had to make some really difficult choices because I had to give up a career. I had to give up friendships. I had to give up where I lived. Because I was choosing a different lifestyle. And the people that I used to associate with did not believe what I believed. However, when people said that the Holy Spirit was here, and it didn't feel like anything was happening for me, but yet other people looked like they were having some sort of experience. Now some looked like they were having a seizure. Now other people looked like they were generally having a moment because it looked very peaceful. Even tears running down their face as their hands are lifted in the, in the, in the air. Now why do we lift hands? I'm a football fan. I'm a Bills fan, and it sucks. But back when I was in high school, they were really good. And when they would score touchdowns, my hands go up because I'm excited. Nowadays, we don't root for the Bills very much in the playoffs because they don't make it. But we can root for Steph Curry because he likes to think buckets. Every one of us roots for something, don't we? Now, maybe you're not a football fan or a basketball fan. Maybe you're some other fan. I like the UFC, too. And when I'm watching certain fighters and there is a great match or a fight and something awesome hands happens, my hands just go up. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's like an excitement. Something just kind of happens with our arms as things exciting happen. There's also the, you know, illustration of, you know, if we're being chased by the cops, and the cop, some of us have been chased by the cops. Other of you have to take our word for it. But when the cop says freeze, our hands go up. Why? Because it's an act of surrender. You know, and to me, that when I'm worshiping, I'm excited to meet God, and I'm surrendering myself before him, saying, have your way. Now, I remember very clearly when I was coming, in the beginning, people raising their hands and singing were very strange. And I'm like, oh, hell no. I'm not doing that. That's weird. And I remember my first time that I went to a Christian um <clears throat> a Christian conference and there was a lot of people praying and worshiping and people were raising hands and you know it seemed very strange to me and I remember thinking 
this is crazy. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying, six months ago, you were where? In a crack house. Touche. Holy Spirit. (laughs) For some of you, you've never been in those types of environments. To put you in one tonight, it would be very uncomfortable and strange for you. For some of us, we've spent way too much time in it. The roaches know our names. See, when we're having an experience, we want to stay longer, don't we? And I remember very clearly, one day, I had this brilliant idea. But as the next person said, the Holy Spirit is in the room. And I'm looking around and I'm like, why am I not having any sort of encounter with this said Holy Spirit? And what clicked in my mind is maybe there's something in the way between me and him. I'm like, oh, there's probably lots of stuff in the way. Yeah, I can, I can, I can agree with that. Now, meanwhile, this is a conversation I'm having by myself with the Holy Spirit, but just by myself. He wasn't there. And I remember going home and I started praying, God, show me what's in the way between me and you. And all of a sudden, an attitude, all of a sudden, a resentment, all of a sudden, this bitterness, all of a sudden, my porn collection got put on the chopping block. And they're like, wait, Jesus, come on. Porn, it's got to go too. Okay. All of a sudden, he started saying it was time to leave my job. All of a sudden, it was time to stay away from this person. All of a sudden, it's time to stay away from this girl. All of a sudden, I'm praying, show me what's in the way between me and you. And all these things that keep getting in the way between me and God start being revealed more clearly. And as I'm seeking out God, I made decisions to push certain things away and bring other things in. Now, this is exactly the same behavior. When I was seeking out drugs, I started to push away good relationships and positive environment for negative ones. So here I am years later reversing it because I'm seeking out God. And the Holy Spirit started coming in and revealing Himself in a way that changed my life forever. Now some of us in this room have not experienced the Holy Spirit, although we've been to church numerous times. Some of us have been in church just a few times, and we would say, yeah, I've had an encounter with him, and it really is kind of weird. Some of us have had little hairs stand up on on our arms and on the back of our neck. Some of us have had a feeling. Some of us have been crying so uncontrollably, like we're like, make it stop. I've seen people laughing. I've seen people shaking. I've seen all sorts of crazy things that I would say is the Holy Spirit. I've seen some crazy stuff that I would say is not the Holy Spirit, but yet it's in church. And there's sort of a difference. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit brings fruit and change. Acting weird brings more weird. Make sense? See, when the Holy Spirit began to move, Peter, who used to be Simon, who is now Peter, who was the rock, decides to climb on a rock. And he begins to speak into the crowd. The same crowd that just a few weeks prior that was saying, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' boys? Like, no, not me, son. No, no, you're one of Jesus'. No, no, that wasn't me. You were one of Jesus'. No, that was absolutely not me. Now add Holy Spirit in Peter's life. He's in the same city around the same people and he's getting up on this huge rock and he's declaring who Jesus really is. Then he starts explaining, you saw the sky. It was dark. You saw the moon and it rose red. You saw the earthquake. You saw the temple get destroyed. You saw the veil get you know, ripped apart. You were there. That Jesus is the Messiah. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people got added to the, the few that were in the upper room and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
speaking in foreign languages. So much so that there's another story of Stephen. That he's traveling the city telling people about this resurrected Christ. And they arrest him and they take him in front of the temple. And he's standing there in front of the same people that killed Jesus. Probably with the same exact pissed off looks on their face. And he begins to tell them about Abraham and he begins to tell them the story of this Messiah as it was woven through the Old Testament. And as they get angrier and angrier and angrier, they start picking up stones and start throwing them at Stephen. And in this moment, he says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very words that Jesus was saying as he was being crucified, that Stephen is the first martyr, and he's in this position where he's asking for the people's forgiveness who are throwing stones at him to his death. If you read about that in Acts 6, you read the story of someone who didn't really know Jesus all of a sudden is willing to give his life for it. And see, this is the testimony that people would say, oh, Jesus is, you know, some magician or Jesus is some, you know, fanatic. But see, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are willing to, to live their life on to death, that the same disciples that ran away from Jesus when He was being crucified, some of them were crucified, some of them had their heads cut off, some of them were stoned. John was boiled in oil. Why? Because something happened in their life that was so powerful that they were willing to live their lives the way Jesus lived His. See, that's different than just going to church. Because if we're going to church and someone's like, I'm going to throw a rock in your head, be like, peace out, I'm out, I'm good. Yep, I don't want this no more. You're right, I'm gone. But if the Holy Spirit is in me and you say you're going to throw a rock in my head and I'm like, okay, Jesus, here we go. I'm still believing in this. And smash, I get hit in the head with a rock. And it's not really something that I believe in. I'm like, okay, now I'm done. Right? I mean, let's be honest. And these people are willing to go to death for what they believe. That's different than just going to church in America. Can we be honest? I've given my life for drugs. But going to church? Eh, nah, I'm good. I don't think I'm ready to die for that. That seems silly. But yet, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to change my life in such a way that I was willing to distance myself from females, and I was willing to distance myself from friends, and I was willing to back up from a career that I thought that I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. That I was willing to go volunteer in the inner city of Utica where I would never go. Like, I'm not doing that. They ain't paying me to do that. I ain't doing that. That's dumb. And now all of a sudden, there's this thing in the inside of me that's changed. And then as we go through Acts, we run into this guy named Saul, who was probably standing there when Stephen's getting killed. And he's like, I really like this idea of killing Christians. Can I do that some more? Like, sure, why don't you go all over the place and kill as many as you can? He's like, deal. And he has written papers saying that he can murder the followers of the way. And as he's on his way, all of a sudden this voice from the sky speaks to him in such a way that it knocks him to the ground. And he instantly says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul instantly knew that that was Jesus. That he was stricken blind. And then he was told to go into the city and meet this guy, Ananias. And then the Holy Spirit talks to Ananias and be like, hey, remember that guy Saul? I'm going to send him to you. And he's like, whoa, hold up. He's like killing people. He's like, yeah, he's good now. Just pray for him. Wait, what? Like, I don't want to do that. He might kill me. Like, that's rational thinking, correct? And yet, here's Saul, now Paul, 
once again, fasting and praying, and Ananias comes and prays for him, and the scales are lifted from his eyes, and the first thing that he does is go back into the same temple that he was supposedly defending against the Christians and starting to tell all the other Jews about Jesus. See, something begins to happen when the Holy Spirit gets on the inside of you is that you begin to do radical things. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean weird things. However, it's weird for our character because we did not do that prior to having this experience with the Holy Spirit. I remember going to church and being taken out to Chinese food and the people that I was with started talking to people that were around us about Jesus. And I was like, yo, you can't do that around me. Like, wait till I'm not here to do all that weird stuff. And now I'm the guy that runs into people in public and talks about Jesus. Thanks. See, something begins to shift when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And we can spend a lot of time going through the motions of church and somehow missing it. That as you read through the book of Acts, we watch Paul, who once was giving his life to kill Christians, now giving his life to save as many as possible. And as you read through, we watch Paul go out with Barnabas and he goes to a couple places in what we would say is Turkey today, and he's planting a couple of churches, and then he kind of comes back, and he hangs out with this guy named Timothy, and he goes and he plants another couple churches in Greece, and he comes back. Like he ends up in Athens. He's like strolling through the city, and he's seeing all these different statues to all these different gods, but he sees this one statue that's to this unknown god. And he gets this opportunity to stand in front of the Greeks because they're, they're all about wisdom and all about public speaking and they, they like that stuff. And he's like, I see that you are all real religious. But let me tell you about this unknown God. And he goes and he begins to witness in front of all these people about Jesus. That this boldness starts to happen on the inside of us that we start saying, you know what? I'm going to represent Jesus a little different in my workplace. You know what? I'm going to represent Jesus a little different where I live. You know what? I'm going to represent Jesus a little different in my family. Why? Because we see that there's something happening on the inside of us that's stirring in such a way that sin did that stuff to us. I witnessed to my best friend in high school who smoked marijuana with me when I got back from college. He'd be like, this is some great stuff. You guys smoke it with me? He's like, I've never done it. Will I die? I'd be like, no, it'll be great. Let's do it. Haven't we all evangelized somebody in the negative ways in our lives? I have a few people that I gave drugs to for the first time. I have a few people that I got drunk for the first time. I have a few people that I had sex with for the first time. I evangelized for sin. Haven't we? And yet, when it comes to Jesus, we're like, nah, nobody knows I'm a believer. But I go to church. Praise God. You're missing something. There's this whole other category from going from a Christian to this follower of Christ. See, I run into people all the time, well, I'm a believer. I'm like, well, what do you believe in? Well, I believe in God. Well, like, well, God, do you believe in? Well, I... And like it's like this series of questions to get to the point where they can honestly tell me that they don't have a clue what they believe in. But they believe in something. We all did. We all do. There is something significant about saying, I believe in Christ. And then I spend time in the Word of God beginning to figure out what that means. And then I begin to allow it to renew my mind and heal my heart. And I begin to change the way I think and the way I live according to that Word of God through this relationship with prayer, asking the Holy Spirit in to heal the deepest and darkest, painfulest places in my life. And all of a sudden, this depression starts to lift as I start to forgive people that I said I would never forgive. 
Some of us in this room got people that we said we would never forgive and are still hanging on to that stuff right now. And it messes with us. Some of us are hanging on to deep resentments towards ourselves because we don't deserve to be forgiven. And Jesus is saying, I forgive you. And we're like, no, that's not good enough. So technically, I'm elevating myself above what Jesus is stating. And if we read in Hebrews, it says, was not one crucifixion enough? You need another. Technically, I have to put myself on the cross since I'm God. And I'm the only one that can forgive myself for my sins. Or do we begin to believe that the Word of God is true? Because it's only through the Word, it's only through the Holy Spirit that the Word of God becomes alive, that it's more than a book, that it's the inspired breath of God breathed into our lives as we begin to read it. It's only the Holy Spirit as we listen to Christian music that all of a sudden something begins to stir in the room and tears begin to roll down our our cheek and all of a sudden inside it feels like everything's going to explode. Like, okay, I gotta turn this off. I gotta go get coffee. Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Oh, I gotta go outside. How many of us have felt uncomfortable as we listen to the music and you do everything to turn that off? But if you just sit there in that moment and try to just whisper the words, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm asking you to just whisper the words when that feeling gets, starts so rattled up that all of a sudden I'm so uncomfortable that I gotta go get something. I'm going to go into the bathroom and fake like I'm going to the bathroom just so I can change the environment. And all of a sudden you come back out and you've got control of the environment again and the Holy Spirit starts poking at stuff. You're like, oh, i got to go outside now. Oh, i got to get coffee. Oh, I need a cookie. But sitting into that presence as it's trying to get your attention and you just let yourself go and all of a sudden you're like, what is going on? This is freaky. And all of a sudden, every hair starts standing up on your entire body, and you're like, I want to run away. And the Holy Spirit's like, just sit still, I got you. Something begins to happen when you seek God in such a way that you're saying, I'm ready to do it your way. Because the disciples were following Jesus, but they were wanting it their way. But then the death of Christ and the resurrection started messing with the way they saw Jesus. And some of us, we have not really allowed that to mess with us enough that it begins to change the way we think in the sense that we need to repent of some of the stuff that we're doing on a daily basis that we're just saying it's no big deal. Go to church on Sunday. Praise God. I don't want to go through the motions of Christianity and have this weight on me that makes it feel like it's pointless. Because it technically is. I remember having this discussion with myself many, many years ago that I did not get sober to be miserable. And early recovery sucks. I don't care who you are. If I do not put the work in the same way that I used to chase drugs and alcohol and start putting it into trying to figure out sobriety, most likely I'm going to return and have returned back to the street. And then I got some Jesus, and I was just trying to get Jesus to get me sober, but I wasn't letting him mess with my sexual life because that book's old. And then eventually it led me back out. And I went to some really deep and dark places again. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in one of my darkest hours and started leading me back. And I remember coming back to sobriety, going back to church, not really understanding this, but I was desperate enough to say, here we go again. I remember crying every time I walked in the room. Hating it. I'm a grown man. I should not be crying in public. Crying in public. Crying in public. Crying in public. And I remember so clearly as the Holy Spirit started to speak to me about areas of my life that needed to change. I'm just going to speak one of my own convictions. You can do whatever you want with it. 
I remember very clearly within days of being sober, hearing that the music I was listening to was garbage in, garbage out. If I'm listening to depressive, angry, hateful music that's suicidal, that's the way I'm going to feel. If I'm listening to music that objectify women in such a way that's sexual, that I'm going to, that's the way I'm going to think and feel. And I started throwing out all my music and starting to go to FYE with all the money that I was spending on cocaine and buying Christian music. And I'm like, this sucks. Throws that in the garbage. This sucks. Throws that in the garbage. Like, this will do. Holy crap. You know, but I started to seek out music because that was such an important piece to my life. And now I have a library that's pretty extensive in all sorts of genres because I needed that. Music is a way that I connect. Not just to God, but in reality, like I need music or I'll go crazy. But if I'm listening to things that are already down here, it's just dragging me down as I'm trying to climb out. I remember watching some of the same stuff that I used to watch and sitting there crying, going like, why is watching a horror movie making me cry? Because the Holy Spirit was grieved by what I was watching. And I began to change the stuff that I watch. Now this is me. You can do whatever you want. But if you're stuck in some place, maybe you should start asking the Holy Spirit to show you what's in the way between you and Him. And then starting to adjust some of the things that you're doing, some of the things you're listening to, some of the things you're watching. And see what begins to to, to transpire in your life. If you're not content, if you're not happy, if you do not have peace, if you have depression, if you have anxiety, if you're struggling with addiction, you're struggling with a temptation of sin, something needs to change, and it's stuff that's inside of you. You could take yourself wherever in this world and plop yourself in a new city, and that same stuff is going to be there. What has to take place is this transformation that can only happen in our heart, and the only one that can do that is Jesus and the only one that can make that walk out is this power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. It says this dubious power, this power that comes on us in such a way that things begin to change. That is not going to church. I just want to encourage you that if you're in a stuck and broken place, there is more available. If you've experienced the Holy Spirit and you're going through a dark time, you're going through a dry time, there's more available. If you're doing great, there's more available. That's the amazing thing about Jesus is that we're never done. We can never get enough that there's more available. I literally could talk about this for hours. I can weave my Holy Spirit testimony in in such a way that... It just amazes me is what he's done with my life. And I don't ever try to stand up here and be like, cocky, I got this figured out because I don't. Just many, many years ago, I realized that every decision I make destroys me. And when I try to give this Jesus guy a little bit of room, he starts to mess with me, but every decision that he starts to make in my life ends up good. And I disagree with it a lot. He always tries to take my fun away. And then I realize he's really just trying to take pain. And the more I agree with him and the more I do it his way, all of a sudden my life gets better and better. I just really encourage you right now, we're going to come to a close and I'm going to pause. Just repent of whatever it is that may have been stirred up tonight. And then ask the Holy Spirit in. And maybe throw in there, like, show me what's in the way between me and you because I'm still not quite getting it. Like, I'm a hardhead. I'm stubborn. I'm, I'm broken. I, I don't want to, like, give up yet. I think I can do it a little bit longer my way. I get it. We have all been there. But when we're broken enough, we begin to say, you know what? I surrender. I'm ready for change. There's a reason that we're all here tonight. I don't believe that it's a coincidence. I believe that you were supposed to be here to hear this message in asking the Holy Spirit into your life to take you to a new place in trying to figure out Jesus. I'm not asking you to be religious. I'm not even technically asking you to come back to church. I'm asking you to let the Holy Spirit in to begin to show you that there is more to this.
So just take a minute, repent of anything that pops up, and ask him in. They call, Paul goes back to Jerusalem in Acts 20:23, and through the Holy Spirit, he makes this statement. He said, city after city, in jail after jail, suffering lies ahead. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for the finished work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. That the work of telling others the good news about this wonderful grace of God. Lord, I just pray right now that your grace gets poured out on each and every one of us here tonight. There's not a one of us that is sinless today. There's not a one of us that has it all figured out. There's not a one of us that doesn't need more of you in our lives. And I pray right now that you would begin to come and begin to reveal your grace to each and every one of us tonight. I pray that you would uproot childhood traumas. I pray that you would uproot sexual abuse. I pray that you would uproot physical, emotional abuse. I pray that you would uproot the the actions that we've committed against others. I pray that you would uproot the guilt of abortion. I pray that you would uproot the guilt of cheating on a spouse. I pray that you would uproot lying and stealing, these fears, these doubts, this condemnation, the shame. I pray right now that this stuff will be lifted by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I pray that there is something begin to stir in the hearts of the men and women in this room. And Lord, I pray that You would fill each and every one of us with Your presence. I pray that You would pour out Your presence on all flesh. That each man and woman in this room would have an encounter with You in such a way that it begins to change them forever. Lord, we did not come to this understanding where we will spend the rest of our lives going to a building on a Sunday for an hour. However, each and every one of us would give our lives to You if You would reveal Yourself in such a way that we would know that it is real and that we know that Your Word is true and that we would have encounter with You after encounter with You after encounter with You that each one of us would lay our lives down for You just as the disciples did many, many years ago. So Lord, I pray that You would pour out Your presence upon us, that You would pour out the Holy Spirit on us in such powerful ways that things begin to shift in our hearts and shift in our minds this very day, this very night. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.